if you've been coming to church for the past four weeks, we are in the fourth week of our fourth and final installment of our series on conflict. Uh, we've talked about conflict in the context of, one, of personal conflict, fa- family, and then also uh, conflict in the workplace. Today we're going to focus on something, uh, it's, it's spiritual conflict, a spiritual warfare. And so I hope you are uh, got your seatbelts on, tray table up, we're about to get up out of here in a second. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood, enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Our struggle, your and my struggle, is not against your neighbor, not against your, 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 your relative, not against the person at work that gets on your last nerve. But Paul says that our struggle is against rulers and authorities and powers in the dark world and spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. We have an enemy that's invisible. Not only is this enemy invisible, the enemy is evil. With that being said, though, we don't have to be afraid because uh, the scriptures give us insight that will help us fight the good fight and succeed. Here's what 1 Timothy says, fight the good fight of faith, fight the good fight for the true faith, hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you've declared so well before many witnesses. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we have an opportunity to gather together in a place like this to hear your word. I thank you that you use the foolishness of preaching to to, to bring your truths to bear to our hearts. And so I I ask that you would find fertile soil where you can plant your word and it can bear fruit of righteousness. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. So we're, 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 we're talking about fighting the good fight this morning, fighting the good fight. Uh, The first thought is the struggle is real. The struggle is real. Who's the enemy? Who's the enemy? Isaiah chapter 14 describes the enemy as a shining star, sun of the morning. Ezekiel chapter 28 gives us an interesting insight on who that enemy is. You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and exquisite in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. I ordained and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God and walked among the stones of fire. You were blameless in all you did from the day you were created until the day evil was found in you. Your rich commerce led you to violence and you sinned. So I banished you in disgrace from the mountain of God. I expelled you, O mighty guardian, from your place among the stones of fire. Your heart was filled with pride because of all your beauty. Your wisdom was corrupted by your love of splendor. So I threw you to the ground and exposed you to the curious gaze of kings. Gives us a picture, context of who this enemy is. That Satan was, a, was, was, a, was one of the guardian angels that God had created. And then he got full of pride, wanted to exalt himself above God, and ended up getting in trouble and got cast out of heaven. And here's what Jesus, this idea describes Satan in John chapter 8. He was a murderer from the beginning. He's always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it's consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies, describing Satan. John chapter 10, 10 says, the thief, calls him a thief, his purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy of our soul, his his whole purpose is to steal, to rip you off, to destroy your life. He could give a rip about you, your family, your, your career, your investments, your property, doesn't matter. His, his goal and his aim in life is to make, make life miserable for you, to destroy you ultimately. And Jesus said, my purpose is to give you a rich and satisfying life. 
First Peter warns us, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So the enemy of our soul hates the fact that, 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 that God has a purpose and a plan for our life. And that purpose and plan is, is laid out for him, for us in Matthew where he says that as we come to follow him, our, that we have two assignments. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. That's our assignment. Loving God and loving people. And the enemy of our soul would love to thwart those plans and the purposes that God has for us. And so he deploys his nefarious tactics in an attempt to subvert and sabotage God's blessings and purposes for us. And therein lies the spiritual struggle we encounter as followers. Jesus said the struggle is real. So what are some of the enemy's tactics? What are some of, the, what are some of his strategies? The first is deception. Genesis chapter 3, if you're familiar with the, 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 the story of the, the beginning in the garden, talks about how God created the heavens and the earth and so on. Uh, chapter 2, chapter 3, now we find Adam and Eve. It's all good. Garden has been built. Earth looks beautiful. God said it was good. He's resting. Chapter 3, the serpent was the shrewdest of all wild animals the Lord God had made. One day, he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Now, I'm going to hit the pause button there just for a second, just an observation that I have. Uh, we know that Adam and Eve were there when, when God, the God created the heavens and the earth, and, and he, gave, he had Adam name all the animals and so on. And, uh, and, then, and then all of a sudden we find here in chapter 3, uh, the la I, don't, I don't see it in the scripture, but I, th I think I'm pretty sure that Adam and Eve were the only ones with a voice box. And so the snake slithers up and starts talking. I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but when the snake starts talking, I'm not, you know, I'm kind of, the bells and whistles are going, beep, 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 alarm, alarm, alarm. Somebody's talking besides us, right? I, just me. I, when I saw that, I thought, now, if I was Adam and Eve and the, and the snake started talking, I'd, 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 I'd kind of pause a little bit and think about it. Is this really right? Well, so he talks and he said, did God say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? He is attacking, it's a frontal assault, deception. The enemy's ploy is to attack the character and the nature of who God is. Trying to twist that, pervert it. Of course you may eat uh, the fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat, God said. He said you must not eat or even touch it or you'll die. Satan, relentless. You're not going to die. Come on. You're not going to die. The serpent, and he said, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it and will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Here's your opportunity, man. You can be like God. He's lying to you. He's playing you. He's holding out on you. He wants to take away your fun. It's an attack on the character and the nature of God. The woman was convinced she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her so she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it also. Adam's right there by her side. They violate uh, one of God's uh, directives to them. And, and here's what happened to them. They got caught up. It says in 1 John describes what was going in Eve and Adam's mind. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievement and possession. Another version says it's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. That's what's in the world. That's what draws you away from God. 
That's what, that's, what, that's what puts you in a tenuous place. If you believe that lie, you're in a dangerous spot. At that moment, verse 7, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt ashamed at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool of the evening breeze, breezes were blowing, the, the man and his wife heard God walking in the garden. So God asked them, where are you? They're hiding. I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I'm naked. Who told you you were naked? God asked. Have you eaten the tree? Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Now, the man replied, listen to his reply. Listen to his reply. It was the woman. <laughs> right? It was the woman. But hey, he didn't stop there. He gets even worse. It was the woman that what? That you gave me. I was minding my own business. Hey, man, things were good. I got my HD. I got, you know, I've, I've got the, the NFL channel. It's gonna, hey, by the way, real sports are about to happen in a few weeks. <laughs> so, so he said, I was doing just fine, and he showed up with this girl. I mean, my ribs were good, and all of a sudden, you just snatched one and made her. It's the woman. It was her fault, and you made her. I mean, do you understand the implication? You know how stupid that sounds? And sometimes we find ourselves in that spot, don't we? We do something dumb, we go, well, it was somebody else. Now, so let's, let's follow this. So the, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. Then the Lord asked the woman, what have you done? What's her response? It's the serpent. Everybody's to blame but us. It's the serpent that deceived me and that's why I ate it. It's the blame game. It's the blame game. It's classic. That's just how, that's what happens when we get twisted. That's what happens when we, when we fall into deception. Another tactic of the enemy is temptation. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus gives us kind of some blueprints on how to respond during temptation. But let's read in Luke chapter 4. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing at all. Uh, nothing all that time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, if you're the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now here's, here's another attempt. If you're the son of God. That's just another version of did God say. Well, if you look back to, to Luke chapter 3, the previous chapter, Jesus, God has a message for the world. Remember when Jesus was baptized and it says here uh, in verse 22 of chapter 3 in Luke 21, uh, Luke 3, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. That was God declaring to the world who Jesus was. He's my son. He brings me great joy. And the enemy of our soul comes to him and says, hey, now if you're the son of God, if that's for real, then, you know, do this and that. He's relentless. And Jesus' response was, the scripture says. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in the moment of time. I'll give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them. So Satan says, because they're mine to give to anyone I please. I'll give it to all. I'll give it all to you if you'll worship me. I will give you all the kingdoms of this earth to you if you worship me. The problem with that is that Jesus has already been given and promised all the kingdoms of this world. The scriptures talk about the kingdoms of, world, of this world become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. 
You look in the Philippians chapter 2 in verse uh, 9 through 11, it says, the high, Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, every tongue confess, every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's master. He's ruler. He's king. That's Jesus' right. And here's what Satan's saying. Hey, forget about the cross. Let's just skip that cross part and go right to glory. Right? Let's skip all the hard parts and get right to the, right to, right to the benefits. You've heard that commercial, you know, uh, back several years ago when Mike, Michael Jordan was still playing. You know, everybody wants to be my, like Mike. No, they don't want to be like Mike. They want the benefits of being Mike. They don't want to put the hard work in. They want to skip that stuff and get to the benefits. Say it right here. He said, hey, just, you get benefits without risk, Jesus. Bene- don't have to shed your blood. That cross stuff, don't need to do that. That's the, the whole purpose for Jesus coming to planet Earth is what? To deliver us, to forgive us, to set us free, to restore us in the right relationship. That's his whole purpose. And the enemy of our soul would love to distract, discourage, and knock you off course, knock him off course. It's a ploy. Jesus replied, the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem to the highest point on the temple and said, if you're the son, he is relentless. If you're, maybe, he did, maybe he didn't believe it the first time, the second, maybe the third time I can convince him to do something dumb. If you're the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, he quotes the scripture to him and then Jesus responds, the scriptures also say you, not, you must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity. Next opportunity. Looking for, again, he's relentless in his devious plans against the purposes of God. James kind of lays open for us what temptation looks like. He said temptation in chapter 1, verse 14, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed, is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. The ultimate goal Satan has with temptation is to lure us into a trap and destroy us. Death is the ultimate goal of temptation. Last week we talked about, uh, we talked about the, the, the statement, plan a thought, harvest an action. Plan an action, harvest a habit. Plan a habit, harvest a lifestyle. Plan a lifestyle, harvest your destiny. I remember uh, I asked permission. I asked my wife permission if I can share this story. Uh, when I was playing ball down in, 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 in Oakland uh, professionally, I remember this one time we were away. We went for two weeks to the coast, I mean to the East Coast, where we played some games. And while we were there, we were there God did some amazing things with, with my teammates. I remember we were using this book called The Joy. It was The Joy of Living by a guy named Pentecost. It was a workbook that we had. So we're doing these Bible studies, and things are going really well on the team. And, and after our two, two weeks on the East Coast, we got on the airplane and came back to, to set, headed towards San Francisco. And, you know, as boys are, you know, you got these knuckleheads on the, on the on, you know, they're just kind of making a, all kind of noise and, and being rambunctious. I'm talking about grown men. And there were these really, 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 really good-looking flight attendants taking care of us and attending to us. And, of course, the guys are giving them a hard time. But me being the spiritual guy that I am, I was not involved in any of that nonsense. I mean, I, I actually wasn't, I, I was really happy about the, you know, I'm doing, visiting with some of my guys, and I saw that, you know, they, they, were, they, were, they were pretty good looking, and anyway, so 
we land, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm usually the last guy to do everything. I'm kind of slow. I'm the last one on the bus, last one off the bus, last one on the plane, last one off the plane. So I'm the last guy off the plane, and we're going down this escalator, and as we're going down the escalator, the team bus is on the, next to the sidewalk over here, and there's another smaller bus that's over here. And as I come down the escalator, last guy, I look over, and the lights are flashing, and there's some young women waving. So I was like, looking around, me? Oh, okay. So I just, I was, again, not the smartest guy in the world. I kind of stroll over, and as I'm walking over, the sea of flight attendants parts, and this young lady steps forward, and she was pretty good looking. She, ha she hands me a, her, a business card, and she goes, I'm going to be at, and I forget the name of the hotel. I said, why don't you come up and join me for a nightcap? And I remember, I don't know why, but I remember this thought that came to my mind when I took that, that card, death warrant. <laughs> I don't know why that, but that's the, that's the thought. It, and then I took it and I put it in my pocket, and I started kind of walking back to the, to the bus, to the team bus. And I remember my teammates going, hey, and they knew I was a Christian. I'm 25, 24, 25, single, right, and all that stuff. And uh, they knew I was a Christian. I didn't mess around. And uh, so the guy, hey, what's up, Pastor? Hey, Raj, what's, hey, St. Raj, what's going on in your pocket over there, bro? What's, what's happening? I said, oh, I'm good, man, nothing going on. Oh, yeah, so they're giving, they're giving me grief on the bus all the way back to the, to the complex. And, and this, this, this thing is just kind of burning a hole in my, my chest. And I remember in my brain, I'm thinking, that girl needs Jesus. I've got the four spiritual laws. I go up to her room, and I lead her to the Lord. Come on, I mean, that's possible, right? That's possible. Not probable, but possible. So I've got all these scenarios running, my, and I've got this war raging in my heart. And, I mean, I'm a, I love Jesus with all my heart, and this girl needs Jesus, and so I just want to help her, right? So anyway, and, and then all of a sudden, the guys kind of stop bugging me. We get back to the complex. I get in my car. I go to my apartment. I have not seen my roommates for two weeks. And these guys are kind of like in-your-face kind of roommates, kind of busybodies, want to know what's going on. And so I get there, and it was, hey, Raj, how's it going? You know, good, so on. What do you got going tonight? I'm going to go meet a friend. No comment. No, nobody's respond, Nobody's reacting to that comment. It was like, whatever. And so I'm thinking to myself, well, maybe it's the Lord that nobody's kind of, you know, there's peace in the house. The Lord is telling me to go and minister to this young lady. So, so nobody's saying, asking any questions, any kind of, you know, hard questions. I take a shower. I come out. Where are you going, Roger? I'm going to meet a friend. Okay, have a good time. So I'm kind of in my brain. You, you, know what I'm, you know what you do when you're trying to justify your sin? You know what you do. I don't have to tell you, right? So I've got all this, this, these scenarios running around in my brain. I went to the phone. I called her up. Hey, how you doing? Just want to check. You coming? Yep, I'm coming. Click, hanging up. So I get into my car, and I, I start driving towards the freeway, and I notice I need some gas because I'm going to go down to downtown San Francisco. And, and so I veer off, and I pull into the gas station. And, you know, in California, you got to pump your own gas. So I get out, and I'm pumping my own gas, and and, and I remember, I remember like it was yesterday, I looked, I looked, and there was a phone, you know what a phone booth is? <laughs> There's a phone booth right, just right over here, and that's where Superman lives. <laughs> and so I'm looking at the phone, and the phone is like glowing, right? And, and then I, this, this voice comes into my brain, make the call. I'm like, stupid, I didn't need this. maybe the stupid part. It's true. But anyway, so, I, so I'm standing, and I'm thinking to myself, make the call. So I walk over, to, and I'm telling you, this phone booth is just glowing. And I walk up to the phone booth, dial it up, and I remember saying something like, 
she, the, the gal answers the phone and says, hey, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to lead you on. I'm a Christian. Goodbye. Click. And then I just kind of got back into my car, jumped in and drove up the hill. I have this view that I used to pray at, and it's kind of overseas the Bay Area. And I pulled up there, and I just cried my eyes out. Because I knew the struggle was real for me. It was very real. And I was about that close, that close to messing up. I'm, I'm no better than you. I, I mean, I'm just telling you, but for the grace of God, here I stand. So how do we defend ourselves? See, the enemy would love to put us in a situation and say, hey, what's the big deal? You, you know, are you the son of God? Did God really say, really, did he really say that not to do that? How do we defend ourselves? I suggest practice. Practice. Pre prepare. Be prepared for the fight. In sports, we have these things called everyday drills. Everyday drills. And they're, and they're intended to get you prepared for the game. It's practice and because you're, your body's got to get into a particular condition. Your muscle memory has to be in a particular condition. Your, your, your stamina, cardio, all of that stuff. And you do everyday drills that reinforce and prepare you to, to put you in a position and in a posture to be successful. That's what the everyday drills are for. And in Christianity, in our walk with God, we have everyday drills too that are laid out for us that we might be prepared because when we're in a battle, you're going to need those skills when that comes on you. So be prepared to fight. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 says, Be strong in the Lord and the mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Didn't say put some of it on. Said all of the armor on. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against the mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy. Then after you, the battle, you'll be able to stand firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth, the, the truth of God's word, the truth of re the reality of of, of what he's done in your life versus the lies that the enemy would try to bring your way. The belt of truth. The body armor of God's righteousness where you can rest on the fact that you're being made right. You're in right standing with God. Not because of your own efforts or your work, but, but you're made right in, because of the work that Jesus did in his sacrifice. For the shoes put on peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. We proclaim the gospel no matter how much resistance we get. We bring good news. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. We're not going to waver in our faith no matter how strongly we're attacked. Put on salvation as your helmet. Our ultimate defense is the assurance that we have of our salvation and assurance that no spiritual force can take away. That Jesus, no one can separate us from the love of God. Take the sword of the Spirit, the only offensive weapon, which is the Word of God. We saw the example of how Jesus wielded the Word of, the God, word of God, the, the, the sword of the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all the believers everywhere. It's going to require you to prepare to be prepared, 
to prepare, to be prepared, everyday drills. And you'll be surprised when you find yourself in a situation, how those everyday drills will come into play. You'll be able to respond and succeed. I remember my first year playing professionally, um, is about four or five games into the season, and we're going to play this one particular team that had a player that plays the position in front of me. I was a center. I snapped the ball to the guy that made all the money in the world and didn't care. He's called the quarterback. But, but the guy in front of me is called the nose guard, and the gentleman that I was going to face this particular day uh, was from Missouri. He was a kind of an all-American uh, strength team guy, and he, I think he could bench, bench press like 5,000 pounds. He's just a beast. And so we're watching film on this guy, and, and he's literally destroying every single player that he's faced prior to me, because I'm the next guy in line, right? So I'm watching the film, and that's, that's what you do uh, when you get paid to, you know, in terms of athletics. I watch the film, and I'm trying to break this guy's weakness, this guy down. I want to find out, what is his Achilles heel? How, there's got to be a weakness to them, because every game I'm watching, he is destroying, he's blowing up all the sudden, he's driving them in the air and back into the quarterback. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my goodness, this is not good. And then I had a teammate of mine who was my backup center, his name was Jeff Harper. Jeff was Herschel Walker's a center, he played in Georgia, and I remember Jeff came up to me and goes, hey, Roger, uh, yeah, yeah, country, because I called him country. I said, what's up? He goes, he's strong. <laughs> I said, yes, I'm aware. No, 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 he's real strong. I said, Jeffrey, thank you so much for your encouragement. <laughs> and then he starts telling me all this, do you know how much he benches? I said, shut up, Jeff, I'm trying to get ready for the game. <laughs> and so, I would, I would go early to practice, about 30 minutes, and I would do these drills because I'm, I'm, I'm racking my brain. How am I going to get this guy? Because there's no way. I mean, I'm just thinking, it's not going to be. And the coaches are like, hey, Raj, good luck this weekend, bro. It's going to be a tough assignment. Well, thank you very much for your confidence. So I'm, I'm watching this, and, I, th- and I, th- I remember I thought to myself, if I could just deflect his, his force, you know, kind of deflect it and get him to come a little bit higher, I can get under him, and I have a chance because I'm, I'm bigger than him, a little bit heavier. But he's much, much stronger. So, I, so I, I asked one of my defensive linemen all week. I said, hey, bro, I need you to help me out. Every single drill, we're going to run this play. We're going to run it like this. I don't care if it's a pass or a run. I need you to do this. And I need you to go full speed. I don't want half speed. Coach can call half speed. We're going full speed. So all week, he's just killing me. And I'm working on, I got to deflect this guy. I got to get my head right under here. And finally, about Thursday, we play on Sunday. About Thursday, last day of full pads, I, fi- I, I, got, it, I got it done. So, why, hey. Hey, that kind of worked, sort of, maybe, I hope, oh God, right? And so we're going to be on ABC TV, you know, and it's so nationally televised. I didn't want to get embarrassed, so I'm preparing. And so game time hits, first play of the game, or first, first series. I snap the ball to the quarterback, and I find myself flying in midair. <laughs> that cat hit me so hard, I was like, boom, I, I think my chest was in my back somewhere. He just pushed me back, hit me, two other guys, and the quarterback. So I'm thinking to myself, it's going to be a long day. And I, I kept thinking, man, if I, could just get, if I could just get my hand under there. And about two or three series later, still the first quarter, I snapped the ball, and my hand goes exactly where I've been practicing. Boom. This guy's numbers is right in my face. I pick him up off the ground. I run about five yards, and I bury him. It's called a pancake in football. I put some syrup on mine. <laughs> Threw some butter on there, too. And you should have seen that cat. That guy's eyes were like this. My eyes were like that, too. He was surprised. I was surprised. We're both, you know. I'm like, 
oh my God, I just did it. But I didn't say that. You know, you got to be a grown man on TV. You don't talk like that. So I reached down there to try to help him up. No, that's, that's not cool. So I just walked back to the huddle in my little strut, feeling good about myself, you know. Because nobody had ever done that to that guy. And I was like, well, I did. And then by the third quarter, he disappeared. He wasn't even on the, in the game anymore. Well, it, that, that, that event didn't happen because I was sitting there watching video games all night. It didn't happen just because I wanted it to happen or that I really was sincere about it happening. It took everyday drills. You're going to be faced with a situation or circumstance in your life where the word of God is going to be critical to you and for you. Where your prayers are going to be critical to that situation. You're going to have to pray. Well, if it's the first time you pray, good luck. I hope it works out for you. I'm sure God's grace is there. But what if you prepared yourself on a daily basis? What if you got yourself in a position and in a posture, in a posture that when, when temptation comes, when deception comes, you'll be able to withstand it? What if you put yourself, what if you took that round? So we get armored up. That's one of the ways we defend ourselves. And sometimes you just got to run. There's a time to fight, right? And there's a time to run. And running doesn't look beautiful sometimes. Running like, you can run like, you can run like a girl sometimes, it doesn't matter. But if you're in trouble and your life is online, get you out of there right now. Get out of there. You got to run. I don't, don't give me any good form running, just run. Phone booth. Hey, stupid, make the call. Yes, sir. Running doesn't look very cool sometimes, but it's very, very beneficial. If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. Not, not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, not if, but when you and I are tempted, he will show you a way out. He will show you a way out so that you can endure. So we, we defend ourselves by getting armored up. We defend our, ourselves by sometimes hitting the ground running. And then we defend ourselves by using the name of Jesus. Acts chapter 19 Great story about that they write. Now the church is just exploding at this time. It's the, it's the birth of the church of Jesus. There's all kinds of things that happen that are wonderful. And so God is, Jesus' name is being exalted. People are getting healed. All kinds of things are happening that are just amazing. And there's these seven guys that decide that they want to kind of copy what's going on. They're called the sons of Sceva. So a group of Jews, this is, is in Acts chapter 19. A group of Jews which was traveling from town to town casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of Jesus in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. But one time, when they tried, tried it, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus, I know Paul, but who exactly are you? And then guess what happened? Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them in such, a, such, such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. Now, that's a, that's a serious beatdown if you're going to run out of the house naked, right? So these sons of Sceva were using Jesus' name, but they didn't have a relationship with God. They didn't have a relationship. They didn't know him. They're just kind of throwing a name out there. They, they thought this methodology would work. 
Jesus' name is not part of your methodology. He is the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. His name, there's no other name above his name. At, at the sound of his name, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he's God. He's the Lord. Sons of Sceva found that out. Sorry about the football examples, but I got one more for you. So we're playing in Tampa. No, 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 no. We're playing in, in, in uh, Oklahoma. Anyway, so there's this guy on the field that's just cussing all the time. And he's saying, like, really bad things, mainly about my family and my heritage. And so he's like, he's like the whole time he's just cussing and cussing. I'm thinking to myself, what in the world is wrong with this cat? So I'm playing. He's just like, Roger, blankety, blank, 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 blank. Finally, I had enough. So I just walked up to him, and I looked at him. The referee's right here. I'm like, hey, in Jesus' name, shut up. He was like, he looked around and he goes, on the field, man. On the field. Jesus on the field. I said, yeah, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. He just went, walked off. <laughs> Thank God it worked. <laughs> but here's what Daniel 11:32 says. Those who know their God, and the word know is the same word used in Genesis that Adam knew Eve, and they conceived. That know in the, in the Bible is about intimately acquainted with those who are intimately acquainted with their God will be strong and do exploits that's what the scripture says it's not a drive-by knowledge of who God is it's not, her, not a her, I heard about that cool thing that Jesus it's, it's about having an intimate relationship with him and those who have that intimate relationship those who know their God will be strong and this version says will stand firm and do exploits so the struggle is real we got to be prepared and finally be willing to finish strong 1 Corinthians chapter 9 says this, Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So guess what he tells us to do? Run to win. What a concept. Run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but you, but we do it for an eternal prize. We can discipline ourselves as well, but for an eternal purpose that lasts much longer, bring back much, much more fruitful So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. And Philippians says this, not that I've already obtained all this, I've already or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which Jesus called me heavenward. I'm pressing in. I'm pressing on. Because the struggle is real, because I need to be prepared, and because I want to finish strong.